So many gifts. We're going to talk about gifts today. Hey, it's good to see you. My name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad to be back with you today. So today, um, in fact, uh, Pastor Randy Willis, it's his birthday today. I think he's like 100. Um, but uh, I really don't know how old he is. He's in New York right now, so he's on a little mini vacation. And But he shares uh, a birthday with my youngest son, who just turned seven. So he's back there getting his cupcake on and doing his thing. So I uh, just wanted to shout out to my son, Jackson. So a happy birthday to him. He's such a joy for us and our family. So I'm super glad to be back. We actually, it hasn't really, I mean, we, we vacated for sure, um, but the first week I was gone, I've been gone four Sundays, but the first week I was gone, I got to take my 14-year-old, my oldest son, Addison, to his first mission trip in Baja, Mexico, and it was powerful. Gosh, we saw over 600 salvations, um, and they got to share a testimony, and I mean, it was just, it was amazing. So just what God's doing and the harvest, it was, it was so cool. We got to build a church and a parsonage in two days with 160 people. We built it. So I was up there roofing, so not vacating that day. And, um, a little sore after that. A week after that, then I had a conference, Every Nation Conference, where if you're new with us, we're a part of a global ministry called Every Nation. And it's what we call our, our spiritual family. So we have people from all over. How many of you guys have been to another Every Nation church? Yeah? Yeah, raise your hand. We have churches all over the globe, all over the nation. And so we got to come together with some of our um, uh, churches just here in the United States. And so that was gone a week. And then me and my wife got to go with G, one of our elders here. He leads a uh, touring company to Israel. It's a Bible study tour, so it's not just to go look, oh, look, that's cool, um, but it's really open your Bibles, and here's where it is, so it's a, almost 10 hours a day for 10 days Bible study, so it's hardcore. We did that with G uh, and his wife as well. Me and my wife got to go, and it's just always powerful. In fact, we've got another basic tour we'll be talking about because we'll have the, our tour guide, who's way more than a tour guide, probably the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable in history and Bible I've ever met, named Arye Bar David. He was one of the first Messianic Jews in Israel, 71 years old and stronger than all of us put together, an amazing man. He's going to be here in two weeks preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with us. So if you've ever been to Israel tour, you'll love Arye. If you haven't, we've got some opportunities coming up to be able to do a Bible study tour, and there's nothing like just seeing it and literally going, okay, that's what Jesus was pointing at and what, where he was. It just takes the Bible to a whole other place. And maybe if you're a skeptic, in here, it would change your life because you're going, okay, this is real. This is legit. It's so amazing to get to see the history and uh, really experience the Bible in that way. So we've got that coming up. We've got a lot of great things coming up. I do want to mention as well, though, the one church that we mentioned uh, in the announcements, if you didn't get it, we really invite, we ask all of our members, we really expect you to be there. We've got some awesome things to talk about. We want to really talk about our Nepal trip. We had a group come back from Nepal, our Baja trip, what God is doing and how that influences and impacts the rest of the world as we go out and be his hands and feet. Isn't it awesome to have a church that's sending, that's doing mission, that's seeing God move in amazing ways. So that's part of y'all's testimony as well, whether you've been there or not. So without further ado, I want to go into um, 1 Corinthians. We're going to hit 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're new with us today, especially during the summer, we like to go through a book of the Bible. Word upon word, let's just look at all of it. It's really challenging. We're doing a 12-week series in a 16-chapter book um, called 1 Corinthians. So we've had to go fast in a lot of areas. Today, I'm going to hit about 33 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So it doesn't have a lot to do with Israel because this was a church in Corinth in Greece. So I didn't get 
I'm not getting to bring in any of that today, but we are going to speak about everyone's favorite topic that no one ever misunderstands and completely gets, and that's the gift of tongues. Everybody excited? Yeah, come on. This is what happens when you preach through the Bible. You hit things that we're just going to have to hit. And a lot of you, it might make you uncomfortable. It might make you, like, afraid or fearful or whatever. Probably never, maybe never been to a church service that talks about this. But we are all about the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says. And let's investigate what Paul is trying to get into us and out of us, out of this book. Again, if you're not familiar with the scripture, which really a lot of people aren't. This isn't just, we say the Bible as a whole or scripture as a whole. But this was a letter. That was added to the canon of the Bible, but it was a letter written by Paul in about 53, 54 AD. And he's writing it to the church in Corinth. And out of this letter, he's answering all these questions. He's bringing a lot of correction and rebuke. And in fact, if you just read this letter, you would just by itself, just without knowing too much, you would go, this church was pretty messed up. And that's kind of the point of this series, the point of saying no perfect people are allowed because we're reading a letter where Paul's having to correct a church that he started, that he put his blood, sweat, and tears in for a good 18 months, and now he's having to write to them this letter to say, I'm hearing all these crazy things and diversity and, and, and the things that, that you're actually coming against each other in who you are in Christ and the things that I taught you. I mean, he's talking to them and we've gone through things like dealing with incest in the church, okay? Yeah, this is what's happening in 1 Corinthians. And, and it's so easy to go, oh man, we just need to get back to the first church. Read the letters. They weren't perfect. They were messed up. Their heart was good, but God was working and he's still working on us today. There's a lot of things we need to get back from them, but there's a lot of things we don't. And we see things like they would come together and take communion and they're getting drunk and people aren't allowed to take it because they've already gone through all the wine and they're just like, best church service ever, man. Like, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're going through and we're exploring about them. And Paul is appalled. He's going, I can't believe this stuff is happening among you. Some of this stuff doesn't even happen. He says among the pagans, among the unbelievers, the stuff I'm hearing. And he's just correcting and helping a lot. And the goal of this whole series, why I wanted to do it, is to investigate this church, to look at the history, to look at what Paul's saying, and to learn from their mistakes. How many of you guys know you can learn from your own mistakes or other people's mistakes? Let's see what they're doing and let's pull out the things that we need to pull out of the scripture. So as we're reading, we're learning a lot about what Paul believes, what Christianity is, and ultimately, listen, what the church should be. As he's correcting and saying, what you're doing is not right. This is where the church, you shouldn't have factions and divisions among you, which we still have today in church. And he's going, this shouldn't be. We need to get back to the gospel and the right things. And in that, you really, it's hard to just do 1 Corinthians 14 by itself because we're just gonna hit kind of tongues and a little bit of prophecy today and what that means and what that looks like. But really, you've gotta combine it with the whole where he's going in the letter. He's, there's context, there's history, there's understanding how he's building it. And it's really best to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 together. In 12, Randy preached a couple of weeks ago, our associate pastor, he preached and talked about the gifts and the need for um, our diversity, but coming together in unison and everybody being a part. In, in, in chapter 13, Scott so graciously preached on love and that love is ultimately the thing that glues the gifts together. And then 14, we're going to get in today, tongues and prophecy, because he's having to bring a correction because this church 
Again, it's all over the place. Now, the one thing that we don't talk a lot, I grew up in a Baptist church, and man, we never talked about things of the Spirit, and yet the Bible is full of it. I mean, you watch uh, Jesus going about, and he's healing people, and he's raising people from the dead, and he's walking on water, and he's doing all these amazing things, and then he leaves, and he says, I'm not leaving you alone. Here's the Holy Spirit, and then now all his disciples and the church has experienced amazing things and movement of God that is not just natural, but supernatural. And it's powerful, and God is using gifts and people, and everybody was a part of being used. It wasn't just the 12. It wasn't just the pastor and the main person. Everybody was in the game, so to speak, not just spectators, but participators. That's gonna, what I'm going to name my next kid, Pertissa, because my last name's Pay. And so, you know, we, we're looking and we're seeing, like, God, they're participating in everything and they're anticipating everything and like what is God going to do next and it's so exciting to read through the gospels and acts because you're seeing the church moving and then you read the letters and you go man they're not perfect and yet God's using them and God's correcting them because he's a good dad and he's using people like Paul and other apostles to correct them because God listen isn't just interested in saying no perfect people allowed because that's true. No one in here is perfect, including myself. No one has the right to stand here and say, hey, I've got it all figured out. Everyone, probably yesterday, you messed up. And that's okay because Jesus became a sacrifice for you. There are no perfect people allowed. But that's not an excuse to not pursue being perfectible. And that's the point why he's not just coming in our culture. It's easy to say, hey, you know what? Just do whatever you want. It's no big deal. God just loves you very much. But a real father and a real God, a real someone who loves you is going to discipline you at times and correct you because they say, that's not who you are. I see who you are. And I'm calling more in and out of you. So I accept you for where you are because you can't save yourself. So I'm going to save you, but I'm not done. And I'm not going to leave you in your position and in your addiction and in your problems and in your pain. I'm going to save you from it because you can't do it yourself. But I'm taking you into victory and something greater. And that's what we're reading. So my takeaway for this whole series, and I think I have it up here. It's one of the first slide, second slide probably. But no one is perfect. We got that. But we should be perfectible. Because we're looking at the perfect. We're looking at Jesus. And if my eyes are fixed on him, I'm becoming like him. And if I'm becoming like him, I've got victory over sin and mostly victory over selfishness, which is really sin. And I'm looking at others and I'm looking to empower and equip and help others and change our world because I'm not here just to get a get out of jail free card and go to heaven. I'm here to change earth. And that's the church. And that's what Paul is speaking to. So he's saying, I've got to correct some things because you're so focused on yourself and you're selfish. And then you got the gifts, but you're still being selfish with them. I need to correct you. Now, each one of us have gifts. My gift is to, to speak and to be an, an, an orator and to speak and, and to teach. And some of you are like, yeah, you're not very gifted at it. Well, that's your prerogative, but, uh, uh, you know, amen. Um, but that's my gift. I love music. I also have other spiritual gifts that God has used me. And, and the Bible says to seek the best gift. What is that? The one that's most useful at the time. The one that's needed at the time. And so we need spiritual gifts. I, I love, I grew up, and I grew up, my kid, my 14-year-old's in the back right there. And uh, wave your hand, Addison. Yeah, okay. He's doing lights for us and helping out. Um, but 
I grew him up. He had a Justice League bedroom. Everything was Justice League because we love, we love superheroes, okay? And unfortunately, the DC, you know, world is not great in movies. They're getting there. Um, but so MCU, Marvel is much more popular. But I grew up on DC and loving that and loving like the gifts and the supernatural. And I think our culture just loves the supernatural. You can't watch a movie or a show, a TV show, hardly without seeing someone with some kind of supernatural gift. And you're just like, oh, yeah. And I think the world is longing for for something more than what we see and what we have. See, because you're more than just a head on a stick and just flesh and matter, and that's it. And we know it innately, and God, I think, is stirring, even with the culture, for us to say, we've seen what we can feel and taste and what we have in our five senses, but we long for so much more, and we know there's more. Innately, we know there's more. And see, Nietzsche came around and he said, you know what, God's dead and we killed him. We put him in the ground and there's no longer a need for God. We are smart now and we can now have the ubermensch, the superman that we need. And what happened as a result of that philosophy and us saying, God, get out of the way. We have in the last hundred years the most bloodshed, the most wars, the worst slavery still today by just seeking after matter and energy alone. And God says, there's more. There's more. The scripture says there's more. The evidence, there is more. Jesus comes in and doesn't just give good, sound teaching and education. He also heals the lame. And he also provides gifts to men. And see, when you think about the culture today and how we love, like, each different superhero, yell out your favorite superhero. Come on, anybody? Flash. Flash. Okay, yeah. Okay, not that Flash. The other Flash, right? Okay. Right, we got awesome superheroes, and everybody kind of has their own little guy and their person they can relate with them maybe. Um, I, I like the Marvel stuff, Luke Cage and all these guys on Netflix. I mean, you have all these representations. There's so, many, so much meaning in our culture, and we love that kind of stuff. I, I grew up, again, with uh, the Legion of Superheroes, and my son would have these cheesy old cartoons. They have new ones now that are interesting, but I like I've just always liked superheroes. I've always loved Superman. Of course, he can kind of do anything and everything. He's like the full package. He's got all the gifts and he can do everything. But here's the deal. Even with a Superman, look at all those different people involved here. You have someone like Triplicate Girl who was one girl that could turn into three. And then you're fighting one. Next thing you know, you're getting hit by another, right? And, and, and what happened, though, in one of the comics, like she dies and becomes the dynamic duo because uh, now there's just two of them. And so they have all the you have bouncing boy and he would just blow up like a balloon. And they actually have a, an episode where he blew up and got stuck in the spaceship. So they had to, like, get him out and pry him out. It's so ridiculous. My favorite superhero, because it's just so weird besides Superman, is Matter Eater Lad. This is a real thing. Matter Eater Lad. And you go, what a dumb gift. But if you're stuck in a cave and someone's trying to... to, to stop you and harm you and keep you from getting out, you need matter eater lad. You might not be strong enough to push through the cave, but he'll eat his way out of any matter. Because that's literally what he would do. He would eat everything and anything. Isn't that crazy and ridiculous? It's so funny though, because although they have Superman, they're fighting evil and all of these different people, and they don't need just one superpower. They need everybody combined with their specific gift in order to conquer the enemy and to save, protect, secure the world. 
And God comes in and says this, I'm not just going to save you so you can go to heaven. I'm also going to distribute gifts to you. And some of you are going to have this gift. Some of you are going to have that gift. And you need to pursue those gifts because the goal isn't just to get everything for yourself. The goal is to give your gifts to equip people and change the world for the kingdom of God. And he says, I give gifts to men. See, I grew up not knowing about this, so most of my church relationship was doing what you're doing right now, which is just a tiny bit of church that is needed to listen, to sit, to absorb, to hear from a Bible teacher is needed. But if that's all church is, it's just all about you, and you are going to be bored to tears. You're just going to, okay, I need one more message. Like, I can get a podcast and get that message. Like, I don't need to go to church. I was just looking at a, a VR virtual reality church. They're doing their first baptism virtually. Like, why not do that in your pajamas? Eating some bonbons, looking like the hot fit avatar, right? Why show up physically, come here, and do what we do if we're just coming to listen? But see, God doesn't just want to listen and change your mind. He wants to change your heart. And he wants to do something on the inside of you that is supernatural. That takes people coming and praying with you and getting in your life and using their gift. And there's nothing like being used by the Spirit of God. And there's nothing worse than thinking you're not good enough to be used. Nothing worse than thinking, well, I'm not Superman. All I can do is eat through matter. And someone here is saying, man, we need that gift, if you get the metaphor. Not literally. We need the gift that you have. And the last thing we need for you to do is go, it doesn't matter. And this is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12. In 13, he sandwiches it with love. Love is the greatest gift. Who cares if you're the most gifted person with wisdom and faith, and yet you don't love, you're nothing. And he concludes here in chapter 14. I want to read this. And he concludes, we're going to read about 30, 30, 33 verses, so stick with me. Get your Bible hat on. And nothing's better than hearing the word of God, better than what I have to say. And then we're going to pull it out and see what he's trying to say. As we start, he's going to use these words. He's going to talk about tongues and prophesying. Real quick, tongues is the Greek word glossa, which means a language. Or what we're going to say here, I think it's a, better, a, a bigger interpretation when you see the whole thing, is a spirit-inspired utterance or language. So it's not just a natural language, but it's a heavenly language. God has his own language, and he shares that with us. And then we're going to see this word prophesy. He's going to say you, you, not only tongues, and we're going to talk about different types of tongues, but then prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is proclaiming the word of God. So what I'm doing can be prophesying. Some of you, when you're proclaiming the word of God, convicts hearts, you're proclaiming the gospel. That's one form of prophecy. There's also forthtelling and foretelling. Foretelling is like a word of wisdom where you're telling the future and you know what's coming on and forthtelling is proclaiming something about the past or present day of what God is doing in their life. So when he talks about tongues and prophecy, these are some of the different things that he's referring to. All of it is supernatural. And, and if you're like me and it grew up in a, in a church or atmosphere where I didn't experience supernatural, sometimes you get what you expect. I don't expect it. I don't get it. I don't see it. Because God says whatever's not a faith is sin. He's looking for people that want the things that he has, especially gifts. And some people, I've talked to a lot of Christians, and they'll say things like, you know what? 
I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on a cross for our sins, and I'm a Christian. But my, I just the gifts, that's, that's passed away. I don't believe in that kind of stuff because, you know, God, just the supernatural, that's just weird. It's spooky. It's mysterious. I don't think God operates that way. Some people might think that. And I know I felt that for a long time until God changed my mind, and I saw a lot of things and experienced a lot of things throughout the years in his power. But what I like to say to those people is this. So you don't believe in healing, miracles, and tongues, and signs, and wonders, but you believe, because you believe in natural, you believe in Jesus and God. And let me remind you then what you believe about Jesus, that he was born of a virgin, that he walked on water, that he healed and commanded the sick and the lame to raise up. He resurrected the dead. You believe in a God that, that parted a sea, that spoke through a donkey, but you don't believe in that supernatural stuff, right? Because, see, that's part of Christianity. And what happens is we, we go into this thing called reductionism. We look at this one aspect, this kind of fits my mold better, and I can put God in a box. And God says, don't box me in, bro. Do you even lift? That's what God says. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's check this out because let's see what Paul is saying to these guys as he's correcting them and rebuking them and helping them have order in church, which order looks a little bit different than what we would think. Look at this, number one, he says, verse one, pursue love, which means chase after, go after. It's like pursuing, you're hunting and you're going after an animal to kill it. That's the kind of pursue love, go after love, and earnestly or jealously desire, want, long for the spiritual gifts right, right away, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue Remember, heavenly language speaks, look, not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound... Who will be ready, get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, he doesn't rebuke them here, he encourages, but he says this, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In other words, I don't understand what I'm praying or saying. What am I to do? Don't ever speak in tongues. That's not what he says. He says, so I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing 
praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So cocky. Nevertheless, but he's an apostle, he can't be. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are not a, not are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Don't you love Paul? He's so practical. But if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Amen. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about tongues for a second, because we don't have a lot of time. We, we could go verse by verse, and, and if you want to, I'll sit down with you if you, if you want to. Um, this, is, this really changed my life in seeking God, not just because tongues is amazing, but just the idea of God wants to use me and wants to give me gifts, and why would I not want a gift from my Heavenly Father who I believe is good? There's different types of tongues. And so let me, let me show you, even in this scripture um, and other scriptures, you're going to see this. Let me pull this out. The first type of tongues you see, so it's not just tongue. There's multiple, there's different types, so we need to look at this. The, first of all, there's an inspired tongue uh, in order to speak an unknown foreign language. So you're in a foreign country, God, God gives you the utterance and you speak, and next thing you know, you're speaking that language and proclaiming the goodness of God in their native language, and you've never learned the language. It is a supernatural thing, and it's, it's in order for evangelism to preach the gospel, okay? And we see an example of this, so don't just, well, I've seen this before, which I, I have. I've heard stories and experienced and see some of these things, but I, let's, let's look at the scripture because scripture is the only thing that matters. You're going to see a lot of things in life, but it better match scripture. Like, let's look at the word. And here's what it says, Acts 2, 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together, 120 of them, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty Russian wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, here we go, and began 
to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these speaking who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Later it says, and they're, they're praising God in my native language. There's no way they would know my native tongue. And yet they're speaking that. And Peter gets up and says, listen, this is God. God is moving. And this is what would be called the gift of tongues. Notice, notice. This is different because what we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 14, you need an interpreter if you speak a heavenly language. This is not a heavenly language. This is being able to hear your earthly native tongue language for the gospel. There's no interpreter. There's none. Because they're hearing it. It's automatically being interpreted. That is the gift of tongues. And that's a great gift. I don't have this gift. Some people might have this gift. I've heard amazing stories, people in every nation and other places in our movement that have experienced this, been able to go on the mission field and, and God used them and they never knew the language before and God just gave it to them and people got saved and it was powerful. Now, we have apps and stuff now, so, you know, I, I think people don't desire this gift as much. But that's a legit gift. Listen, but that is different than what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. It's a little bit different because it's specifically no interpreter and it's a, it's a man language that God has just given you supernatural ability to speak. It's not a heavenly language. Here is the second type of tongue we see and that's intimacy and prayer for, it says personal edification. Uh, think of edification, the, the, the word for edifice, it's building up of yourself and personally. Now, each gift, miracles, healing, words of knowledge, wisdom, all of these gifts, each, the Bible says it builds up the church, so it's for you. If I speak something into you and you say, gosh, how did you know that, which this has happened to me before. Uh, someone had a, a word of knowledge, Jim LaFoon, who's going to be here actually in November. We're going to have a Wednesday night meeting. It's going to be awesome. Jim LaFoon called me and my wife up, and he starts giving a word of knowledge. He knew, knew exactly what I said, and he's just speaking what God told him to speak. And it's almost verbatim two weeks prior to that that the, uh, at night in my house, me and my wife are laying in bed, and I'm just sharing with her my heart and my frustration for my season. And he just speaks and says the exact words and says, God is hearing you. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's powerful. No one could have known that. And that is a, a word of knowledge, that, that prophecy. And that, that built me up. That made me go, God, I already knew God is real. I already trust God. But it increases my confidence in him. Just like when you're married to your spouse or you're dating someone, your confidence should increase, increase more. It builds you up in who you are and who they are. And those gifts are given to build the church up and other people up. The Bible says here, a heavenly language is to build yourself up, and it's for you. And it's the only gift we see that is for me personally. It's the only gift that builds me up alone, not just for other people. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will 
of God. What is he saying? There's so many times, I don't know about you, but I'm praying for my family or for, for you, and, and I don't know what to pray. I don't know the will of God. So, you know, it's easy just, God, your will be done. Like, and I don't know what to pray. And the Bible here says the Spirit prays through us and with us and in us. And this is part of that intimacy with God. We're praying a heavenly language and we're praying the perfect will of God in order for it to come about here on earth as heaven is. 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, 2 through 4 as we read. But let's unpack this real quick. This intimacy with God. Look what he says. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men. Listen, right? Not, not Acts 2. I'm not speaking to that person, but he says I'm speaking directly to God. So this is prayer. That's what prayer is, talking to God. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to God. And he says this, for no one understands him. It's a heavenly language. It's not an earthly language. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. You are more than body and soul. You are spirit to connect with God. He says this, on the other hand, the one who prophesies, right, speaks publicly, proclaims God or foretells, foretells, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. The idea, we all have cell phones in here, right? How many of you guys charged your cell phone last night because it was dying? Yeah, right? This is the same word edifies is to charge or to build up because we deplete and so the Bible says this gift is for you personally to build you up in the faith and to edify you, to build you up. And he says this, the one who speaks to them builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And he moves on to say, it's better to prophesy because you in church should be about them, not about you. Go home and do that. Right? Seriously. Go home, unless there's an interpreter, which we're getting to the second thing. So now we have the gift of tongues, which is speaking a man language for the proclamation of the gospel. We have an intimate prayer language that you're speaking heavenly language to God. Your mind doesn't understand it. It's unfruitful, but it's building up your spirit, which is mysterious. But it's building you up, your confidence in the Lord, who you are, to hear him, be sensitive to him, and ultimately to pray his perfect will. And then we have the interpretation of tongue for the church's edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 15 says this. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind doesn't understand. It's unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. When the Bible talks about praying in the spirit, this is praying this heavenly language, this glossa, this tongues, okay? So what happens a lot of times when we get into some of this, you say, okay, how do you interpret, what does this look like? You don't need an interpreter for one type of tongue, but then you need an interpreter for another because it's a heavenly language. Yes, exactly. And I've experienced this where I, I, I remember being in Bible school and, and I'm praying and we're in a setting kind of like this and the worship team's going, we're just having a prayer night and I'm praying and, and I'm just, I'm praying in the spirit and God is, I'm just, I don't know what to pray exactly. I'm just praying and, uh, and I asked God, and this, this scripture came to mind and I've been reading 1 Corinthians 14. I'm like, okay, God, your word says I can get interpretation because this is unfruitful and it's weird. I get it. Like most of us, most of your problem and, most, and my problem in spiritual things is that we're too intellectual. 
And listen, that doesn't mean, and you know our church, I love apologetics. You need to use your mind. The Bible says love, your, love the Lord your God with all your mind, okay? You should, don't just turn your mind off, but sometimes your mind keeps you from the victory God is trying to take you to. Because you think you have to figure everything out. And Paul, who is brilliant, more brilliant than all of us combined, I'll tell you that for sure, in his training and who he is, he's sitting here going, I don't get it, but I know what it's doing. And I trust it. Because Jesus would say this, you know how you enter the kingdom? Not you know everything and you get a doctorate. He says, you become like one of these children. Faith, God, I trust you. Daddy, I need you. And see, that was a huge blocker for me because I was so like intellectually trying to get into the Greek and yet the Greek doesn't explain all this. It just tells you this is what it is. It's unfruitful, but it's doing something in your spirit. And I had to come to a place in myself where I said, God, I trust you to just do what you want to do with me. And I'm so trusting I'm not going to be afraid to fail. If I fail, you will not let me fall. Your word says I will stumble, but I will not fall. And I trust you. Because I want all the gifts. I want anything you have for me. I don't want to be indifferent because there's people out there that need this. And I remember I'm praying and, I'm, and I asked the Lord, just give me, give me interpretation. And immediately, it wasn't like I got like word, but, but immediately in my spirit rose up. I, I was thinking about my roommate. And God brought to mind my roommate who I hadn't seen. I noticed he wasn't in the prayer meeting uh, at this Bible college I was at. And, and, and it, it came to my mind and God said, you're praying for him and his mom because their relationship, I'm doing some reconciliation and I want you to pray for them. So I start praying. I didn't know anything that was going on in his life. And so I'm praying for that. Two hours later, I go back to the dorm. We're getting ready for bed. And I asked him, hey, where were you during prayer? And he said, man, I had to leave. I was calling my mom on the phone and God, just something happened and we were forgiven one another and God was moving and just changing our family's life just right there on the phone. And I went, thank you, God. That I got to be a part of that and I didn't even know what was going on. But I'm praying your perfect will. And I was built up at that moment going, wow, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. This is not, I'm not fab. This is a true story for me and what God has done. And I've heard many other testimonies. And you need that interpreter. You need that person. You, you'll see on Sunday mornings, we don't get up and, you know, should kick, should kick start a Honda. We're like, we don't go into all that. We don't do that up here necessarily on Sunday mornings, even though we believe in tongues, and a lot of us have this and express this gift, but the, the Bible is clear. There should be done in order, and if we just get up, imagine what was happening in Corinth. You had 50 or 60 people, and they're just going, shoot, you know, back and forth, yelling at each other, and Paul says, if somebody walks in, I want to visit this church, okay, you guys are nuts, right? Like, I'm out of here. Because it is, it's unfruitful to your mind. You don't get it. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so you don't understand it. And so Paul's saying, it's better. The highest law is love. It's better than you getting your kicks and your fill and really filling my spiritual motor running. It's better for that person that comes in to hear the word of God, to hear a prophecy, to hear something that's intelligible. Even five words for someone else is better than your 5,000 by yourself. Or 10,000 by yourself because it's not about you and this is what he's having to constantly tell the church listen it's awesome you have these gifts but you're so immature because you think church is all about you and what I'm gonna get out of the message and oh that was good but I'm gonna eat that and not that this is buffet church like I'm gonna get a little bit because this is about me and when we sit there and we're preoccupied with self and we don't like something we hear we are not a part of the kingdom of God we are not participating we are on the sidelines yelling at the rest because we're mad about what's happening and God's saying that's not what I died for. I died to get you 
in the game. I died to get you a part of the game so you're not bored to tears in life because you got a mission and I've got something for you. There's nothing greater. Let me say this. There's nothing greater than being used by God. There's no greater joy. There's no greater substance. There's no greater vacation. There is nothing better than being able to speak into someone's life and watch their life transform with a word or with a change or with a healing. There is nothing greater than experiencing that. And you go, this is why I'm alive, to bring glory to God for my good. When I seek my good, I never give glory to God. When I seek his glory, I am always getting my goodness. And I'm telling you, this is what Paul is getting at. Don't just sit there. This gift is legit. It's great. It's for building of you, but it's better if you build other people up. And it's greater to think about other people and not just yourself. Let me show you some benefits of tongues, and I'm going to go fast. The benefits, obviously, you see preaching the gospel in another language. The benefits, our spirit is being engaged without our mind. It builds up. Our spirit, right? You're building, you're like you're building confidence in what God is doing. It builds up the body when it's interpreted. When and I've seen this experience too, someone gave a tongue and someone had that interpretation and, and it was powerful. I've also seen it where it was like, I don't know if that was right. Um, and that's part of the church because God does want you to use your mind. He wants you to look at the word of it. Somebody's like, shada-da, and somebody gets up and says, God said you should divorce your husband. You get up and you say, that ain't God. Right? Like, that's, we use our mind and we look at what God is saying and we use the scripture. Here's some warnings. There's a danger in this gift, and I've seen it a lot, in elevating this gift as a sign of spiritual maturity or calling. People that have this gift are more spiritual or they have a higher calling than people that don't. And you can never do that with any gift. You have to be so careful. And that is replete through 1 Corinthians because he constantly says, listen, you're immature, you're crazy, and yet you have, you've experienced every gift possible. There's also a warning because, as I said, it only needs to be used in public if there's an interpreter. Because otherwise, it's just about me and showing how spiritual I am. No. It always has to be about you and the church. So I want to end with this. So what? So what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? Here's what I think we should do with it. I think this is what Paul's appealing to. He says, I think my takeaway would be you need to desire the gift giver over the gift. We don't chase after the gift. The Bible says pursue love and desire gifts. We don't desire God and pursue gifts. What's the next thing that God's doing? I want to follow this person and their gifting. No, no, no. Follow God. Follow the gift giver. And he will supply gifts to you because he's a good dad. And in fact, the more you follow and pursue after God and love and his heart, who God is love, the more you pursue him, the more, in fact, you will want gifts. And that's the second part. Desire the gifts. Don't be indifferent. I've talked to so many Christians like, I don't really need that. I don't want to look weird. I don't want to be out of control. The Bible says the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, he says you could sit there and be quiet. God's not making you do anything. He doesn't work that way. He wants you to desire him. He wants you to desire the things of him. And let me tell you, if you desire him, you're going to naturally desire the gifts. And this leads me to my last thing. So what? I think we need to look for opportunities more than anything to build others up in the church and outside the church. 
Again, not be about just me, but be about other people. You see, because if you do this in order and you say, God, I want you the gift giver. Like, I don't care about the gifts as much as I care about a relationship with you and I want you. Listen, then God's going to put compassion in your heart for someone else. Because God is love. He's always going to have you love someone else. He's not going to be like, okay, you love me, hate them. In fact, the Bible says if you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you and you're a liar. So you love God. You say, I'm after your heart. And he's going to point you to somebody. It might be your spouse. It might be your kid. It might be somebody that you don't know that's on the other side of the city. And God's going to put them on your heart. And you're in the natural going to try to talk to them about God. You're going to try to talk to them about scripture. You're going to try to talk to them about life. And you're going to be limited because you don't have their experiences. And you don't know their life. And you can't help them in and of yourself. And then you're going to go, God, I need more than just the natural. I need more than just what's in my mind. I need your spirit. See, when you seek first him, he's gonna add everything else and he's gonna say, here's a gift. And there's nothing like operating in evangelism with power. See, God would never, just like a commander or an officer in the army would never send troops out without a radio, without some kind of map, GPS location, without tools and without weapons. God is not sending you to the world on your own, not being equipped. He's not sending you to your neighbor. He's not saying, and when we feel like he is, we feel like it's impossible, I can't do anything. No, no, no. See, God wants to use you and he's got gifts for you. You need to pursue him, desire those gifts. And I'm telling you, you will want them. I've said this before, but I, I've been, I've lost about 20 pounds, 25 pounds. I've been eating right. Like I've been working out and it's so crazy how much I desire water. Right now I'm struggling. Before when I wasn't working out and eating right, I was like, yeah, I could drink this or that. Like I didn't desire water, but it's crazy. As you work and produce energy, you desire water. And so now the, the idea of drinking eight cups of water is the joke. That's easy a day because I'm moving. You desire God more the more you're moving with Him. You might say, oh, I don't have a good prayer time. I don't, I don't know the Bible study. Like, my quiet time's really bad. Well, you're probably, missional time is not good either. Because the more you work out your salvation, the more you get the end of yourself. You say, God, I need you. I desire you. And getting in the Word is not hard. Asking for the Holy Spirit to move is not hard. It is a necessity. And this is what Paul is trying to say. I think we need to wake up tomorrow, especially if you're a member at our church, and this is my challenge to our church, to myself, and ask this question, not, God, what are you going to do in my life? He, he's got a plan. He'll share it with you when you need to know. But I think a better question, because we're looking at edifying and building up others, is how are you going to use me today, God? How are you going to use me? And see, with that question, you got to believe God wants to use you. And a lot of us in here go, you know what? God can't use me. I'm the worst. No perfect people allowed. If he can use a donkey, he can use you. If he can use me, he can use you. And he's got something for you. Get into the game. And you will experience no greater joy. God, what do you want to do? How do you want to use me today? I want to end with 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Because I feel like it's kind of the cornerstone of this because he says this. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, 
It's like, oh, I long, I don't, I don't know about you, but I long to see more than just natural things. Like I want to see God move and I believe and I've seen God move. I love this song, we're gonna sing it. You could do it again, I believe. But he says this, strive, like work hard to excel in building up the church. He says, out of everything I'm trying to tell you, let other people be your aim and your focus as your number one aim is me. Like, allow yourself the understanding that you don't come to me on your own. I do the work of salvation, but now because I've done that work, you work hard, man. You strive to say, I'm gonna be excellent and I'm gonna be great at building someone up. That means when you show up to church and you say, well, I'm not leading worship or I'm not serving today or I'm not preaching, so I'm not, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if I... If I'm here or not, I don't need to be there. No, no, no. You show up. Maybe God's going to give you a word for the person next to you that's going to completely shift and change their life forever. Maybe God's going to give you a download, not just for you. God forbid it's just for us. But ultimately, to be like Jesus who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. That's our mentality. What do you have for me to give to someone else? And if, if you have your prayer language, use that for yourself to build yourself up in order to bless someone else. But ultimately, seek after these gifts. Seek after God. Look for opportunities to build others up. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to ask the worship team to come. We're running a little behind, but I want to take an opportunity just to worship our Father. And I want to sing this song, Do It Again. Can we start at the bridge? please. And I, I think there's people in here as I was praying and believing, like asking the Lord, what do you want to do? Because I think, I think church is more than a TED talk. I think God wants to manifest himself and do powerful things. And I think within our lives and what God wants to do, I think a lot of us have kind of just lost that faith. Maybe you say, you know what? I, I you know, I, when I was a kid or younger, maybe I received things, or God did something in my life spiritually, but you know, I've kind of advanced, and now, you know, I'm, I'm a hardcore Calvinist, and I just believe in these things, and that, I've just intellectually gone beyond that, I don't need that anymore, and I would say that's not scriptural, the Bible says you add things to your faith, you don't subtract, so when God begins, He wants to add something to you, maybe some more understanding, and doctrine, and Bible, and knowledge, and, and, and history that's great but don't dismiss faith don't dismiss becoming like a child don't dismiss the gifts of the spirit because now you're so intellectually smart say god no i need more of you i want to be a witness to you i want to be used i want to sing this song in number one worship to god in number two asking god use us equip us move some mountains in my life but really in other people's lives as well